A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Sadie Martin, Senior Product Manager for the Data Platform at Q4 Inc., about applying a product mindset to data in general. This is really crucial to getting data as a product right, but also in building out your your data platforms and even a lot of the processes just in general for implementing data mesh. Sadie started as a data analyst where the team didn't have a product manager. They were doing a lot of work and they just weren't sure if what they were doing would work or even if after they had done it, if it had had a positive impact, if if what they had done was good work. So she started to take on some of the task of answering those questions and started transitioning into being a product manager for data. So what really is a product mindset? For Sadie, the easy definition, but with a lot of depth and nuance is it's all about really understanding the problem. For most organizations, really thinking about the problem you are trying to solve relative to data is is pretty new. There may be a data request, but what product or process is that data contributing to? And what is that product or process trying to solve? Sadie believes measuring the problem is really crucial. Once you figure out what you are trying to solve, what is the scope of the problem? How are you going to measure if you are actually solving the problem? especially is it better than what you were previously doing? She also talked about the importance of customer centricity. Really, why are they making a data ask? Should this be a one-off or a repeatable process? Did they ask for really the complete set of what they need? You know, that kind of back and forth communication of, of really finding what you're going to actually have to do in the long run, not just what did the ticket say? <laughs> 
One crucial insight Sadie has brought from product management to data is to be willing and ready to throw things away. If it ain't working, don't be too precious. That's a very different mindset than we've historically had relative to data. There's also the idea that processes can devolve quickly. So ensuring when you start a repeatable data process, you need to understand the effort to keep it going. If the upstream of your data product is constantly changing without your knowledge or understanding, it's going to be a bad, bad time. You know, that's something that Data Mesh really obviously looks to address. But if you're not uh, <laughs> in an organization that's implementing Data Mesh yet, you know, you, you want to really figure that out. While it feels counterintuitive, Sadie lamented that for most, it's often quite difficult to get the buy-in that you need data to measure if your data work is actually providing value. I'll say that again. It, it, it feels weird to say, but we haven't really historically measured the impact of data work very well. So getting buy-in to set up an effective measurement system ahead of time for, for your data work is, is hard. It's worthwhile to do, but again, it's, it's hard. You need to take the time to do spikes and investigate ahead of time and slow down enough to set yourself up to measure your results. A continuing theme throughout the conversation is the need to give the team time to figure out how to approach challenges and set yourself up to succeed. Just continuing to go off assumptions and gut feelings is going to put you in a vulnerable spot, you know, to a competitor really doing the work around this. Sadie looks at measuring the success of data work in two ways. The first feels obvious once said, but really isn't to me. Start by measuring the baseline. Without the, that baseline, you can't measure if you're having an impact. And lots of data work proves to be low value or even negative value. You try to hypothesis and it isn't working. How do you get to the answer of, is this hypothesis right or not? Is it valid or invalid? You measure the incremental change for, for that effectiveness, and you have to set yourself up to really do that and, and think about that baseline first. So what happens when you do look at your work and find out it's not been valuable? You know, Sadie talked about you have to get away from the sunk cost fallacy. It's absolutely okay to make bets and they don't pay off. You just understand that and you move on. That's literally what a bet is. You're hoping for a positive outcome, but it might not happen. That willingness to frankly assess if it's working is, is really crucial. You need to really investigate if you are solving the problems you set out to solve. And by proving out the value of the product mindset, so you can make better bets in the future. A lot of the product mindset is also thinking about return on investment, not just maximizing the return or value of data work. A $20 return for one week of work is better than a $100 return for 20 weeks of work. Can this simple get you where you want to go without doing the extra, you know, cool but complicated and or risky parts. Sadie mentioned a few things getting in the way of applying the product mindset to data. One is that there are often teams making promises on behalf of the data team without checking with them first. If I had someone write a check on our behalf, and it ain't fun. We need there to be communication before committing to data work. The other is many data-consuming teams view the data platform teams as simply service teams and not really partners. We need to get to a place where all data consumption and production is about a partnership instead of a merely uh, pub-sub type of relationship or a service model. 
There is a misconception that data work is all about facts. A large part of it is discovery work, much more than in most disciplines. For Sadie, measuring a team's effectiveness should focus more on getting to an answer than getting to the preferred answer of you know finding the the really really valuable things. It, it's about getting to an effective way of evaluating hypotheses. So evaluating a lot of hypotheses and improving them invalid isn't a bad thing. You prevented a lot of toil work that wouldn't have added value. Make sure to measure your teams based on, on that type of, of aspect. So some closing thoughts, advice that, that I took away here. Anyone can apply a product mindset, not just the product manager. So everybody should be thinking in, in a product way. Second, giving yourself the time uh, ahead of starting work to investigate and create your measurement framework, including your baselines, is crucial to measuring progress and choosing where to focus, right? If we're learning how to get better at, at doing data work as we evolve, we kind of have to be able to measure how we're actually doing. The third is approach your, your data work with intentionality. I think this is important for all of data mesh, but especially around things like this, because you know your, your data team is always a precious, precious resource. And the last, uh, really understand what you are trying to accomplish and what your immediate customers slash consumers are trying to use the data for to, so that they can accomplish. What are they trying to get to so that you can really align with them well? So I, I think this is going to help you really think about kind of sustainable and scalable ways to think about data work. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. All right, super excited for today's episode here. I've got Sadie Martin here, who is the Senior Product Manager of a Data Platform team at Q4 Inc. And so uh, what we're going to be talking about is just in general, what is the, the product mindset and how we want to think about this um, relative to data mesh and, and how we want to think about what is that product mindset around data and like what is that data product owner? What should they be thinking about how to how to intertwine this with data as a product and just getting people out of that, um, the way that we've really handled data in the past. So I think this is a really, really useful perspective for a lot of folks out there, especially people who've been in the, the data world and haven't really thought about things from a, a product perspective. So with that, that said, uh, Sadie, if you don't mind giving people uh, a bit of an intro to yourself, and then we'll we'll kind of jump in from there. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Scott, for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation, too. Um, so a bit about me. I uh, right, now, right now work at a company called Q4, which is basically a capital markets communication platform. So, I mean, when I started, I was like, what the heck is that? Um, now I know a little bit more about it, and I can give you a very short intro to what that is. Like, essentially, we provide public companies, investors, and investment banks with ways to connect, communicate, and engage. 
So that might look like, for example, um, hosting virtual earnings events at the end of a quarter or providing like CRM tooling that would allow public companies to kind of like find and target and retain investors. So that's where I am. I just started there in January. So it's pretty new space for me. Um, and maybe it makes sense to tell you just a little bit how I got to where I am, um, because that has a lot to do with product and why I think it's such an important role in data. Um, I started my career in tech uh, seven or eight years ago as an analyst. Um, so working on data teams and working on data teams that did not have product uh, representation. So no product manager, no product owner. Um, and after a few years of doing that, I just realized like, wait a second, why are we doing some of these things that we're doing? And how do we know that these things are actually going to work? Or like, how do we get any kind of um, uh, certainty about what we're doing? Like, we're just kind of getting things handed to us and we, and we do them. And a lot of times they didn't work. Um, you know, like at the time I was working at a large food delivery uh, platform in, in Berlin and we were given this task of like categorizing all of the menu items on the websites so that we could, you know, I mean, there were a lot of different reasons, but like essentially so that we could use that to give more information to our customers. And it was just kind of an impossible task because there was no training data or anything like that. But it was just like, you can do it, you know, like you can just just use machine learning and just do it. And um in that moment, I thought, like, we really need to take a different approach to, like, the way we're doing data. And so I kind of assumed this role on the team of being more of a product person without having, like, formal, I mean, what is formal product training, actually, but, like, without having product <laughs> uh, experience, just trying to ask some of these questions, like, why are we doing this? Um, how will we know if we succeed? And after a little bit of doing that, I got the chance to transfer into a, a a formal product role working on a data heavy team. And that's kind of where I've been ever since just trying to like bring more, more product thinking to, um, to data teams. So yeah, that's, that's why I'm here and looking forward to talking more about that. And so it, it's interesting that you're coming at it from the data consumer side, uh, somewhat as it, so it's, you know, data consumer, data producer, um, we're asking the data producers to think of this as, as a product, but as well, like how do consumers um, approach it and and help give that feedback, right? Where consumers have historically have been playing that telephone game with data engineering and being like, hey, data engineering, we want this. And then data engineering goes to the um, producing team and goes, hey, you've got you've to gotta give us this. And it just it comes back and forth and back and forth and it doesn't really work. So exactly. So it's a really helpful background as well to know that you've kind of you've you've seen why this is so necessary and that you're you're coming from from that angle as well. So you know how do you think about what is the the product mindset? You know, big broad question if you want to break that down in into any way, but like how if if you were to tell somebody that isn't really doesn't have that product mindset historically how do you think about explaining that and that shift like what what are the different aspects of it yeah it's a hard it's a hard question and i mean thinking about explaining to people who don't have that mindset is even harder um <laughs> but like for me if i break it down it's it's actually quite simple in the end which is 
it's really just about understanding the problem, which sounds really simple, but it's not because that's a hard thing to do a lot of times. And it's a thing that people continuously overlook. You know, I think we've been through this shift a lot in the engineering side um, that you it's it's very common now that a traditional kind of like product or user facing team will focus or have a specific process that allows them to discover and allows them to really understand the problem. Um, That doesn't mean it always happens. It's maybe there on paper, but you know, people still love to just like go off of their gut feeling and, and, and build things. Um, And even less so on the data side, do we have this more formalized process and do we spend the time thinking about that? So yeah, that's the big, that's like the foundation for me is just understanding um, what the problem is. And we can talk a bit more about like what that means in the context of data as well, but just to keep it broad for now, understanding the problem and measuring the problem. Um, Again, like you can do one of those, you can understand the problem and you can not measure it. Um, But that's a very key part is, is being able to measure it. And then Finally, I would say customer-centric solutioning of that problem. So again, like validating that the solution you're taking, that the solution you're you're doing is actually solving the problem of your customer, whether that's an end user facing customer, whether that's an internal customer. Often when you're on a data team, you have to think about both of things, actually both of those, because it's even more complicated, right? Like you, you need to satisfy your internal consumer, but why are they asking you for that? It's for some use case, you know, often some use case for the end user. And if they're not concerned about the end user, when they're asking you for a data solution, then the solution you provide is very likely to to fail. So sometimes you you as the data team, you have to think of these two layers if no one else is doing it. If you if you want to make it, if you want to guarantee that it's going to work or have a better chance that it's going to work. So yeah, those, those three things, like understanding the problem, measuring it, and then being customer-centric in your in your solution. Yeah, and that, that last example kind of frightens me because it is, it's like you have to uh, be the product manager for your own team and the product manager for the uh, team that's building something. And it's like, uh... <laughs> Absolutely, but it happens so often. Unfortunately, it really happens a lot. And again, it's kind of a personal decision like as a product manager for data teams in that situation, it's I have to make that choice. Like, am I going to take that on? Um, because I'm afraid that my team will not succeed if if I don't take that on. Um, but it's a lot of work, right? And it's not like the way I approach it. I don't want to just do it myself, right? I want to like mentor people. I want to mentor other product managers so that they are also thinking of of doing things that way as well. Um, not just have me take that all on for myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's just, um, and I can see that if your metrics are based on the success of their project, not on your own metrics, that you're kind of, you're kind of KPI stuck, like your, 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 your KPIs aren't under your own control. And that's, that could be, I think that's, that's something I haven't really thought about of, when you think about a product org, you have to be able to, your your team has to be able to own their own KPIs and control those. So if you're delivering on something that's entirely dependent on somebody else doing um, 80% of the execution or knowing what they have to do, that, that could be 
a, a little bit crazy. Um, I think one of the, the uh, Jamak has talked about this. One of her favorite books is just the design of everyday things. Mm. Right. And so it's like that, that concept of really understanding what the problem is. I, I can't remember. Uh, there's this famous um, professor that was talking about uh, milkshakes. I, I don't know if you know the the example that I'm talking about, but I don't think I know it. They were they were talking about what they, they were trying to do all these things like milkshakes were very, very high margin for um, uh, their customers or they were trying to figure out why customers kept buying milkshakes early in the morning. Um, and so they tried to do all these different things to get people to buy more milkshakes later in the day and all this stuff. And what they found was that people were buying milkshakes specifically so they had something to do while they were sitting in their commute. And so they made it something where they like tested the the consistency and they the people wanted it to be something that wouldn't be too liquidy so that you wouldn't drink it too quickly. It had to last the whole thing and you had to put in a little bit of effort and it wanted to be something where you you know you could kind of let the it it could just be in one hand. So they kind of redesigned a little bit of the cup so that it wouldn't be too cold and that um, the consistency was was such that it could tip a little and it wasn't going to immediately spill things everywhere and, you know, cause accidents and all. It was just really, really fascinating to exactly what you're talking about of what's the actual problem that they're trying to, to overcome? Is it that they want something that's really, really delicious or do they just want something to, to do while they're sitting yeah. in traffic? Yeah, that's a great example because also what that illustrates to me is that that was a rather complex process to figure out all those things and like think about all the ways that you could then tweak that situation to, you know, grow your milkshake sales in the morning. And so that's what's hard about this is that it takes time to do these things. It takes time to really understand the problem and to like go through a proper solutioning phase that might mean throwing some solutions out and things like that. And I think even when people say that they're willing to do that and that they want to bring more discovery into their into their process, um, actually doing it in practice is harder because it takes time. Well, and and how do you get to that minimum viable aspect? And and also data, especially once a data production process has started, people expect that it never stops and that it never changes. So like talking to your data consumers about you need to have that product mindset of you're a consumer not that this thing is locked in place, that we need to evolve it together and we're going to make it better, but that it's going to evolve and that you have yeah. to be prepared for that evolution is, is, is interesting. Or at least that if we don't do anything, it's actually going to get worse. So we need to have the, also the time and like the thought to think through, you know, this is not just a one-off thing where we just give you some data and that's the end of it. Um, I have, yeah, I'm working on a few situations right now where, um, it's all about like, can you give us this data so that we can release this product? And the answer is yes, we can. But if we don't think through this, it's the quality is going to degrade over time. And then it becomes a question of like, well, how fast is that going to happen? Like, how is it? How important is it that we really like solve that part of the problem right now? Those are hard questions to answer. Yeah, that that's, I think that's really, really important. And, and that's been a historical thing with data as well as one off production. Um, you know, this is why people uh, that a lot of people that really love coding really hate Excel is that it is one-off production because you can't really 
backtrack exactly what you did to get from point A to point to point Z. And so, you know, it's not that Excel in and of itself is bad. It's that you don't have that, that process to be able to backtrack and, and say that, okay, we're going to actually productize what just happened. I talked to some yeah. company that was trying to do that and it was like, that sounds really interesting, but it's also, you know, there are a lot of people uh, in the engineering side that are like, no, 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 you can't use Excel under any circumstances. So it's like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. I've also had, I have had a lot of situations where, um, you know, you're looking for like as a product person, you're looking for areas where you can optimize something in the business. And a lot of people say, look for the Excel sheets, look for the Google sheets where this stuff is happening, because those are great opportunities to like productize something. And I believe that is very true. That's a great starting point. But as you said, it's not as simple as just taking the Excel sheet or taking the Google sheet and like turning it into a product like that's that that basically shows you maybe where you should start looking. But then that process of starting to look is a is a completely independent uh, process from like that sheet existing as a as a solution. Yeah, I, I think Paolo Plotter in, in one of the very early episodes mentioned kind of that same thing of that you've got business processes that are happening, so you want to to, to look to those. Um, so you, you yeah. talked about the 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 assumptions and gut feeling and, and like that we we don't check those enough, and that especially a lot of people where we haven't had data to be able to actually check those. You know, we're, we've developed new ways to generate the data. We've got much better ways to to manage and analyze that data than, than we have historically. So how do you think about driving that that buy-in around, okay, we've got to change the way we're, we're doing things? I know that can be a frustrating process in every org because it's, you're asking people to change and change is always painful. So, Yeah, definitely. It's really, that has been a lot of my, uh, certainly created like a lot of frustration for me um, over the years because I, I see clearly like how I think we will get the most value out of working with data and out of data teams. And it's really often, requires a cultural shift um, because yeah as as you mentioned this this gut feeling I think what I said before is that like it's it's hard now to find a product team or like a, a user-facing product team that will say like yes we should make decisions based on gut feeling um, but we're so we're so not there yet on the data side um, we still, I think, especially with ML and data science, we really got into this position where people tend to think that data and machine learning is the solution to everything. And we're still going off of our gut in a lot of those situations, just because someone said, you know, this is a complicated problem, machine learning will solve it. And then People are excited about machine learning, so of course they want to try to use it to, to, to solve that. But I feel like this has gotten us, in a lot of cases, into this sort of rut of like not questioning our assumptions and not checking our, our gut feelings as much. And the only way that I know to do that is just to, um, you know, to me as a product manager and my team to 
to make sure that we do that for the things that we're working on and make the case for taking the time to investigate something. And that means showing a lot of examples of what could possibly go wrong, what the risks, laying out the risks. It's a lot about communication and a lot about like obviously doing that in a way that people can understand. Um, and it takes a lot of time, which I think is, that's the most challenging part for me. I do love that part about my job. I love distilling complicated problems into simpler things and communicating this to people and like seeing these sort of aha moments of like, oh yeah, okay, that was not as simple as I thought it would be. I, I understand now. Um, but like figuring out how to fit that into the expectations that people have of me as a product manager, like taking the time to do that and to lay these things out, that's really the the challenging part. But I just, I just make it a point to do that. Um, and I think that's, that's the only way that I, I have developed so far to, to try to like slowly make this shift. I accept that it's a slow thing. And sometimes that still frustrates me, but I accept that it's kind of like a, a learn by showing situation. Like, and I hope that if I just do it enough, over time, people will get used to it and see that that it's it's valuable. Yeah, and and so I, I don't want to misquote you here. So let me see if if I kind of got the, those points in in a lot of ways. It's ML feels like it's an easy button, but it certainly isn't. No. So you have to set yourself up, whether it's ML or it's data. And sometimes you want to split the difference between just good old fashioned analytics of like, hey, we're going to get some data and we're going to look at this rather than we're going to try and make this so that we analyze every single data point versus like, hey, we're going to do some sampling or we're going to get we're going to get just some data and we don't need 8 million data points to be able to to pr- prove things out. But we ML isn't that that easy button, but we need to set ourselves up ahead of time to be able to measure. Yes. And then once once we can set ourselves up to measure, then we can make quicker data-informed decisions and that the data doesn't necessarily have to drive everything, but just doing via gut, it's not, it shouldn't be a one or a zero between um, the data says X and my gut says Y. So it must be X or Y versus kind of, well, that's a terrible uh, analogy because it's it's zero or one. And it's like, no, there's a slider in between zero and one. Um, there isn't really a slider between letters, but... Um, <laughs> But that we're thinking about setting ourselves up to succeed with data and that so much of what what people try to do is do the thing instead of let's set ourselves up so that we can actually figure out if doing the thing is the right way or if we're doing it the right way or it's the right even thing to do. Yeah. Is, is, is that how? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think... I mean, so that's, as you said, that's where measurement comes in and is so important, especially in the context of data. But what I also think is interesting is that you have to look at it. I think you need to look at this measuring in two ways. So one, okay, if if you have an idea and and someone says, let's build a model to do X, Y, Z. It's one thing to say, okay, great, let's measure how good that model is. And that, that is an important thing. But what is so often overlooked is what is the baseline? 
what is the baseline measurement without that model? Um, is there like, you know, is there a human doing this job now? How well are they doing it? Or like you very often you're working with data to try to improve something, whether that's to like something that already exists, whether that's to optimize it, make it faster, make it easier, um, whatever. Very often there is already something that exists that is doing that, even if it's just a human like doing that job. And I think it's so important to measure that baseline so that you can understand whether your data solution to that is bringing value and how much value it's, it's, it's bringing. Um, I think it's like very rare that, that that will happen, that, that we will have measured the baseline of a problem that like comes to, to my team to, to work on. Um, and that's, one of the first things that then I try to convince people it's worth doing because otherwise you can spend, you, you, I mean, anytime you spend on something and not knowing whether it's, it's a good investment is bad, but especially with data projects, you can end up spending months or years on something. Um, and who knows, maybe, maybe, maybe it's better than what you had before, but maybe it's only a little bit better than what you had before, or maybe something less complicated would would have gotten you already quite far on that journey. That's what I've seen time and time again, is that you don't need to go to a complex solution with data in order to, to deliver value. So I, I, I like that a lot. And I'm kind of thinking about like A-B testing, right? On, on a website, you kind of have to have that A before you start testing B. You can't just roll out the, the thing and say, like, how effective was our conversion rate on doing in A way? It's not that you're rolling out two nif- different versions at the same time. It's like, well, what was our effectiveness rate before this? So we measure are either of these changes positive. Um, I think that that's interesting. Um, something that you said there kind of got me... Uh, slightly depressed in that um, you're, you're talking about this as, okay, we're, we're doing a look back on, was this useful? Was this good? Did this have the return that we want on it? But like, how do you then take that and apply that to future mm. decisions? Cause it, it kind of, it kind of feels like in some of these, these things, talking to people about measuring the, the value of a data project or anything like that, it's all look back and it doesn't really, you know, the whole point of this is to not just say, did we win? It's how does this inform our future decisions as well? So like, how do you think about especially with things that feel kind of like one-off-ish, right? Like, is it really that important to measure was this change that we've kind of locked ourselves into, is that really as important to measure that versus kind of the opposite? And, and you know, I, I think I know where your answer is and I don't disagree with it, but I just I just kind of want to get it, get it out there and kind of talk about it. Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's funny that you say that because sometimes I get in, the, in this situation where I feel like, wow, you know, everyone must hate me because I'm just going around like killing projects. I mean, that's not really true, but like there have been, you know, several times when I feel like I have done this look back on something and shown that whatever was done up to this point was not valuable or is not valuable, is not necessarily solving the problem that that we wanted it to solve. And I feel terrible about that because it's so, there's so much 
blood and sweat and tears that go into those projects. Um, so, and it's hard because it's this, this sunk cost thing where if you've put that much time into it, you're like, well, if we just do this much more, it will be, it will be valuable. And I, I don't believe that, um, to be honest. And like sometimes, sure, if you, if you can redirect something, but it's definitely not a, it's not a given. And so I do think it's quite important to, to do this look back on things, measure where you are, like assess whether you're really solving the problems that you, you set out to solve. Um, but that being said, you know, that's not, if you're doing your job right, I think that's, that's not what you will be doing forever. Maybe there's more of that at the beginning when you start somewhere new, but then the goal is to, to learn from that and to show people what happens when you don't have this, this product mindset with data and to show them that that's, that, that you want to do things differently um, going forward and that you want to take the time to understand the problem and measure it before you design a solution, before you build a complicated solution. Um, you know, like any time, I think anytime you're talking about AI, one of my first questions is always like, well, have we tried just a heuristic model for that um, first? Do we know how good that would be? Because then, then it's almost like you're creating another baseline. You have your baseline of where you are today. And then you want to look at what would something super simple do um, before you go on to, to AI or machine learning. So, yeah, I think I don't know if I fully answered your question there, but um, basically I do think it's important to go back and, and like assess where you are now and whether that's still achieving the, the goals you set out to achieve, as well as then try to like shift the culture so you can do those things up front in the future. So, so this is when you're talking about that kind of look back, a lot of times it's that you didn't already do that that setup so that you'd have the information along yeah. the way because then you can say we've we've spent six months on doing this and it's not having the return we wanted so let me spend the the two weeks to set ourselves up so that we the next time we're two weeks along or we're one month along and we've got enough of of a proof point out there to say okay let's shift and that we don't waste you know okay we spent the two weeks and a month instead of six yeah. months right so oh no we spent the two weeks but we're now in a position to evolve a lot. Exactly. And I just did this. I just did this and I got six weeks. I was given six weeks to do the discovery on a, on a project after, after kind of um, putting together an analysis of like where we were and um, saying, we really need to like take a step back and treat this thing as a product um, instead of just like doing what we've been doing for the past uh, year and a half. So yeah, that was, that was a big win. Big big celebration day to get six weeks for discovery for a data product. <laughs> yeah. Very, very big congrats on that. That stuff's always difficult. I, I always think of it as slow down to speed up, which is just such a, a an obnoxious um, phrase, but it's also like in this it's, it's slow down to enable speedy evolution and speedy, like that fast feedback cycle only comes if you set up, a fast feedback cycle. Yeah. It's not that you you can just get fast feedback out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, when you're thinking about, we're, we're talking about like bringing the the product mindset to data in general can be, again, pretty difficult when it's people who haven't done this historically. So what 
you, you talked about kind of showing people and just showing them repeatedly, but like, where do you kind of find that people are having the, the biggest pushback? Is it that you're finding it at the kind of at the data analyst level or the data engineer level or, or the senior or junior or, you know, like where, where, where do you find that there's that, that pushback to let's become data driven or let's spend the time to, to do this up front rather than do the thing? Is it that customer demands come in and they just want you to do the thing instead of that? Like what, where, where do you find that the, the challenge is, is coming from the most? So that way, um, you know, I want people to also go in kind of eyes wide open about this stuff as to where they're going to, where they're probably going <laughs> to meet some, some challenges and that it's not the only their org. Everywhere. Be prepared for them around every corner. No, it's not. It's just, it's just like they can come from everywhere, but it, it depends on the person. Like I find if you, if it's a person or a part of the organization that is already used to working in this kind of product mindset way, then of course they're going to understand a bit better um, that you need to approach that with data as well. But I've seen it, you know, I've seen it come from a lot of different places. I've seen it come from above in the sense of just like, you know, people like directors sort of making promises up that like we can do this thing. um, And then that coming down to the data team and um, us saying, well, you know, wait a sec, like, actually, sorry, I don't think we can do this thing. Um, could you give us some time to figure that out before you, before you make this promise? Um, and I've seen it come as well from c- consuming teams. So that could be, I mean, that could uh, maybe not so much analysts, but more from maybe other um, other engineering teams that are consuming data products for their user-facing products. Um, because they are not used to working this way with, let's say, data platform teams or, or platform teams, they're used to kind of coming with their set of requirements and then having those done because I think traditionally data teams have been more seen as like service teams, right? They just have a long backlog, like a long list of things to get through and teams just keep bringing them They're They're overworked. So they don't have time to do this proper sort of like requirement gathering and, um, understanding what what the consumers want in this case and so it is a bit of a challenge when when the team is used to getting things quickly even if maybe they weren't always right um they're still used to get just like throwing things in quickly and getting the result quickly and then you say you know hold on like i want to actually um write out what these requirements are i want to understand like who's going to benefit from this data um that's I've had some situations where people sort of there was pushback there and there wasn't really a good reason for the pushback. And so I could kind of infer from like, they didn't, they couldn't explain why they were pushing back. And so I sort of inferred from that, that it's just because it's not what they're used to. It's not the process that they're used to working in, which is more like here, I give you my request on a plate and you do it for me. Here's my ticket. You, 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 uh, you know, kind of the, the, I don't know if you know the Jonathan Colton song of code monkey, but like, it's kind of that, that thing of, you you know, you're, you're the ticket monkey of, I put the ticket on your backlog. 
you prioritize it and you do it because that's the way we do things. And it's like, yeah, but it's not working. It's not delivering you what you want. Right. So, and you know, at the very least, the the data team that's working on that is not happy. Like at the very least, you know, they're overworked. They're feeling like they, you, you know, they're, um, you know, it's not so motivating to just get, get those, those requests and fulfill those requests. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a, a change. And I think something that can really benefit from taking more of a product approach. I mean, not every, obviously not everything that comes to a data team needs to go through like a, you know, six week discovery phase and like really understanding, but even just spending an extra like 30 minutes, like writing a ticket to understand who the users of the data are and like what they're going to do with it. I think I don't see any harm in that. I think that that benefits everyone all around to have a bit more visibility into that. Um, And it's just funny to me that like, I see so, so, so much more often now that um, companies are hiring for data product managers, which gives me a lot of hope because obviously this is something I I care about and I think it's important. Um, And that's great. But then sometimes when you come into that role and still you're just getting shoved like, I don't know, a Slack message of like, can you do this, please? Then I have some moments where I'm like, what am I, what is my, uh, you know, like what, what am I doing here? Like, you don't need me to do that. You can just like dump that in ticket and the team can do it. So it's funny that like there, there seems to be a recognition that this is needed, but then it's not so clear exactly what that role is. And people aren't used to having that role on a data team. So that's where I think we have a lot of work to do to sort of just like keep building up on what this means and, and keep progressing, like making, making the way we, we do data more mature by bringing this product mindset to it. It's interesting. A couple of different um, interviews that I've done. One was Andrew Jones at, at Go Cardless. They they created a form for anybody who's requesting data, mm-hmm. and when you submit that form, like they made it so that it was okay. Here is an actual form that you have to fill out, and when you submit that form, it creates an automatic invite to oh. a meeting. You must have a meeting. Nothing can be done only via ticket and form request, which I think is great. And and Tim Tischler, who comes from the human factor space and is now um, helping to lead Wayfair's data mesh implementation, was talking about uh, um, a lot of that same stuff of, okay, uh, every everything should either be fully programmatic, fully automated API or it should be high touch human to human conversation because tickets just, we, we keep trying to do this ticketing system because it's easy to kind of well, easy ish to groom that backlog and, and prioritize and do that. But it, it doesn't exchange any real context no, yeah. because your, your uh, data consumers and your data producers is what he was talking about. You don't speak the same language. So you're, you're, you know, and it's not like Portuguese to Spanish. It's like, you know, Russian to, to Chinese or something like that, where you're using something totally, completely different, you know, uh, structure and even written form. And like the language is so, so, so different that you're not, um, if you just put tickets on, you, you can't, 
really communicate that well. Now, getting everybody bought in that everybody should have enough space and and time and things to do that, that kind of slow down to speed up again, yeah. with that product mindset. Are you going to be able to do that? Probably not. It's, it's, it's a pipe dream to be able to say it should be for everything, but like it, yeah, there, there just feels like there needs to be a better way to just go, you know, instead of should have been an email, this meeting should have been an email, this email should have been yeah. a meeting, this ticket should have been. A meeting. Yeah, I cannot agree with that more. It's really, um, and you're right, it's not, it's unrealistic that everything turns, that everything goes in that direction. So it's, it is about like choosing your battles. And I'm really bad at that because I want to fight every battle. But um, so <laughs> yeah, I, I need to work on that because it does, it's, it's, when you're starting from sort of like scratch, that's not the right way to go. Um, but I think especially, again, especially with data and especially with like the, like a scale up data organization or a data organization that's sort of in the beginning of their journey of figuring out like, how do we do data? Um, what is data? What is not data? What are, what are the domains? especially in that situation, it's just really hard because usually you have one data team that's serving all of the needs of the company, which means there are multiple domains. And then you're kind of expecting that one team to know everything, to have all of the domain knowledge in order to do everything. And then when you just get like a ticket that comes in without a lot of context, um, that's even harder uh, than, than let's say if you just have like a domain team that at least has a domain, um, a focus area, uh, with, with data, it can be really different. Uh, like with us right now, we're, we're just one team. And so there's stuff coming in from a bunch of different domains. And I think so often that I really want to get people to talk to each other more. And I want to get the people on the data team closer to the, closer to the domains. Um, obviously like going in the direction of, of data mesh, but, sometimes having a product person or specifically like a specific product role on the data team can actually make that a little bit harder because people then think that you're sort of the gatekeeper. Like you as the product person need to be the gatekeeper for everything that comes into the team. Therefore there is a gate between like the people working on the team and, and the domains. And I think that can be really problematic. So that's another sort of like challenge is like, saying like, well, yes, I am, I am the product manager of this team, but I also see a future where, you know, people on the team can, can have that domain knowledge and be better at handling, at understanding those requests and gathering requirements for those requests than I can. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that the number of people who are doing lunch and learns and show and tells and, and office hours, that if you can get the space to do those, those teams are so much happier, so much more productive, but it's kind of like trying to um, talk to retail companies and say, hey, if you actually pay your people living wages, yeah. like they're much happier. <laughs> and, you you know, Costco has been doing it for, God, uh, three decades or so. Like they've been paying people reasonable pay for benefits, like all this stuff. At least they were. I, I hope they still are. I, I haven't checked in a while, but you know, they, so their turnover was, you know, 1% versus the industry average of like 17% yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, yes, yes, you do have happier, more productive and engaged workers when you, when you do the things that, that make it so that people have psychological safety and that, that type of stuff. But so. it is a long game. And that's the hard part that like, you know, you don't see those things 
um, even if you are, which a lot of people aren't, even if you are measuring those things like um, happiness and uh, you have good retention metrics and stuff like that, um, you're not going to see an impact on that right away. If you say like, okay, you know, in the next few months, we're going to take more time to, to discover our, our data products. Um, So that's something I would like to think a bit more about. I haven't yet, but like what, again, how can you kind of like MVP that stuff? Like everything is a product. So how can you really like, break down that long game that you want to take with data into smaller pieces that you can show um, impact with like in, in shorter periods of time. I don't have the answer to that, but um, I think that's important to think about. Yeah, you, you, I thought you were, you had the answer to everything. <laughs> I thought you were going to come on and, and solve all of data for folks. No, I, I, I think that is, and I think that's kind of what you talked about of getting people, um, to give you the space to do that measurement, it it does become like a well, how, what what is our ROI on doing this measurement and you know a return on investment um, of that for people and how quickly and you know you're you're in a space obviously where the um, kind of quarter driven results is yeah. is extra you know. Um, is extra in focus because of, of being part of the investor community. I, I used to uh, uh, cover stocks and I, I do not miss uh, earnings season is, and yeah, things like that. It's so. different. Not, I, I, I never knew that really that part of the world, but it is a different world. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, uh, yeah. Not, not fun late nights and craziness and all sorts of stuff, but, um, but yeah, I mean, what, what have you found? that's been, you know, not asking you to solve all of the challenges, but what have you found that's been successful for getting yourself to those early measurements, right? If you are given the time, like how, 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 you know, I mean, it's kind of, I guess, situational dependent, but how do you get those, those early measurements and, and figure out how to pivot and maybe how do you get that buy-in to pivot and go, Hey, this thing that we, we tried, it isn't working. Like, you know, we, we went with this assumption and it was wrong and that's okay because we're measuring it and that's why we're measuring it. But like, how do you get to that early thing so that people can really start to apply that to data? Yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard question. And I feel like it does it. I do it differently depending on the situation. I mean, I'm thinking recently of this, this project where I said I I managed to get six weeks of, of delivery, but that was, that was a really complicated project that involved like um, a lot of different, like combining a lot of different data sources, including like manually input data and managing sort of the relationship between the, the, the manually updated data and the automatically updated data and um it was, I had to really have several days of like r- real focus time to like think about how to distill that problem and the way that I was thinking about measuring it into something meaningful. So I couldn't have, I mean, it's very, most people know it's very hard to like find that focus time, but I can't say how important that is and how much, how often we just like skip over it because we think, you know, like I can do this thing without spending two hours on it. But 
in this case, I don't think I could have if I hadn't really like sat down um, because I had to get a bit creative. And in this case, I used a like a sort of traditional prioritization method that had like different ways of sort of modeling risk and confidence and um it's it's called rice if you want to look it up like reach impact ri confidence effort um and so i tweaked i you know i like just got a bit creative with this and sort of like tweaked how we were tweaked the framework a little bit um and used that to like measure uh the current solution of the of the problem and what was what really helped in this case is that I didn't have all the measurements and it would have taken a long time to get all those measurements. Um, but this method allows you to model like the confidence in your measurements. So just by saying like, well, I can guess that we would reach this many customers, but I don't have actual evidence to back that up. So my confidence is, is lower. And that affects the the resulting score of like this particular approach that we're taking. So it's it's a bit complicated, but when you have complicated problems on your hands, I think it's worth it to to sit down and think like, how can I measure this thing? And even if I don't have all the data, I can still make some assumptions and like reflect that in my measurement to make a make a convincing case. And like in the end, I did I I this was a convincing case um, that I made. And so, yeah, that's one thing that I would say is like, really think about how you're going to spend time thinking about how you're going to make these measurements. And even if you think that you, I think there's some book, I don't remember the name, but I remember someone telling me about it, that there's a book about like how to measure anything. Um, I haven't read it. I should read it. But like, I, I kind of believe that there is a way to measure anything, even if you don't necessarily have all of the data there's a way to to um, make the case that you want to make there. So that's one thing. And then I'm trying to think of like a simpler example where, I mean, I, it, I, just, I just slow things down. Like I just say, you know, we need an extra sprint before we can, you know, tell you the direction that we're, going in with this particular project and um in that sprint we will tell you what the status quo is of of where we are and so again it's it's about slowing down yeah that's uh, I, that was even before you said that that was going to be my question is is this about not just even the product owner or whatever slowing down is it about working with the team to get to free up enough space so they can take on the cognitive load to say, are we doing this the right way? Can we be doing this yeah. better? Like really do think about this as a, instead of number of tickets being your KPI, that's not a product mindset. It's, it's impact, yeah. right? It's what, what are you actually doing that's impacting the, the organization? So um, I think that that helps people to to frame this. But I think, again, so much of this is is pretty unique to the situation. And that's kind of the, the challenge of applying product mindset to data is, I mean, you can have the mindset, but everything is unique. So trying to share more of these stories about, okay, like, how did you approach this? Why? It's, it's very helpful 
So that way people can can start to find those patterns, which is kind of what I'm doing with the podcast in general. It's just finding patterns, yeah. right? You know, if, if only 10 people are telling their data mesh story and nobody's talking about the same, <laughs> you know, challenges or points or anything like that, it's like, okay, like what, how do we actually do this? Or what, what are the the patterns and anti-patterns and things like that? So um, well, th- this has been super, super uh, helpful, I think for, for people and that they also don't feel alone when they start to say, okay, we're trying to uh, apply the product mindset to, to data that it's like, it's, it's hard. It's not, there's not, there's not a real, there's not a rule book guidebook to right. this. Yeah. Right. So is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to to talk about before we kind of wrap up? Or is there anything, any salient point? Or do you have, the again, the solution that you can just hand over to people? <laughs> Sounds like a lot of just giving yourself the time to, to think through it and and set yourself up to be able to measure, set yourself up for success is kind of a product mindset. So it's not that it has the results on day one and that you kind of, if you can get that buy-in is, is that, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's kind of what I took from what you've, you've talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, as you were saying that, I thought of one, another sort of example um, related to the question you just asked about like, how do you measure these things? And I find I have to talk like I, I tell my the teams that I work with and the especially like the engineering managers that I work with a lot that um, a lot of data work is more like we have to spend more time on discovery than maybe you even would in in other teams um, because so much of what we do is uncertain. And so it needs more effort to understand, to get closer to that point of certainty before maybe you want to commit to to building something. And this is, I think this can be challenging because if you're if you're used to working um, with a team that, you know, just has um, s- stories in their sprint or, you know, like, things to build in their sprint, it's hard to get people to say, let's take more time to put in more investigations or spikes or whatever you want to call them um, to more time when we're not building um, and more time when we're, when we're discovering. And so one thing that we did at, at my previous company was that we, that is how we kind of measured things. We didn't measure in terms of what we like what we built or necessarily the success, the KPIs of what we were building. But at first we started just measuring what are the, num- what's the number of like hypotheses that we can validate in X amount of time. And we had this goal of like being able to validate or invalidate a hypothesis within two weeks. Um, or to say like, we have discovered this many ideas. We've decided yes or no about this many ideas in a quarter um, which is telling you that some of those things are going to be no's and some of those hypotheses are going to be invalid. So you're not necessarily going to get to build everything that you investigate. But when you can think of things to measure like that, you can show like we are being productive even without necessarily uh, like always being in, in build mode. So yeah, that was just one one last example that I wanted to provide there about measuring things other than like, business KPIs, um, more like leading indicators that show you that you're going in the direction of, you know, that like, if you've validated or invalidated a number of hypotheses, like you're more likely to go in a direction that will, that will 
bring business value. So that's kind of like a leading indicator there. Well, and you could even kind of do uh, the second derivative type concept of, okay, what is our hypothesis uh, validation rate of positive? So are we getting better at making our hypotheses or, yeah, Yeah. but I I think that's a really interesting um, thing that I, I think is really counterintuitive of that with when you think about data data is about certainties data is about yeah. facts data and, and so the that you're like we actually have to do far more yeah. discovery when it's like but the data is the data so why why is data about right. data more difficult and it's like because there's so many things you could look at there's so many so i i really like that i think that's um a really salient point because i wouldn't have thought of that even after our conversation until you said it but it, it kind of it's almost, it's one of those things that's kind of obvious once it's been said, but it's not obvious at all yeah. until yeah. it's <laughs> like, it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yes, you are right. <laughs> that, that, that is one of those things that I never would have thought of, but yes, 100%. Yeah. So, um, well, Sadie, this has been uh, fantastic. And I think it's going to be very useful for a lot of folks. Um, uh, where can people find you? What do you want them following up with you about is kind of LinkedIn or Twitter or what, what where, where can people? Yeah, LinkedIn would be great. And I'm always very happy to, to talk to other people who are thinking about these things. Um, because yeah, as we discussed, it's really, it's different in different organizations. Um, and I think that's where we were we're going to move, we're going to move data forward if we can kind of like figure out how to, how to do this even better. So please yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Happy to like chat. Um, well, another what now that you said this, like there was something I did want to mention, which is this is not just about being a product manager or a product owner on a data team. Like a lot of data teams don't have that role and they still apply the product mindset. So anyone can like have the product mindset. It might be, I've seen, you know, teams with engineering managers who are asking these types of questions and thinking this way or engineers themselves who are, um, you know, really asking, why are we doing this and how are we going to measure it? And that's, so, so it's, it's not like you have to be a product person to, to benefit from this or to like bring this to your team. And it's not necessarily, yeah. So that, that, that being said, like, I'm happy to talk to people who are not product people, but who are still like thinking about, um, about these issues. Well, I think a lot of what you said earlier as well was like about teaching and, and um, helping people to, to understand why this is important. And I think that's important for your internal team. That's important for external folks that you're working with, again, whether it's pro- to a product manager or yeah. not. So I think, I, think, I think a lot of this is, is very helpful for, for thinking about that. But it's, it's a really good point that the product mindset isn't only for the product. Right. Actually, I don't want it to be because that makes my job a lot harder. So. <laughs> but, but you can just handle all the product right, stuff. I know, yeah, like I just exactly. want to do the ones and zeros, simple, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, Sadie, this has been great. So uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time and thanks everyone for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Sadie Martin, the senior product manager for the data platform team for Q4 Inc., As per usual, you can find her contact information in the show notes. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking 
into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one off or a month to month basis. You know, read kind of throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one on one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Mm-hmm.